0: mentioned earlier in terms of performance that was another thing i love the torque or you know the get up and go of electric cars and beating everybody at the stoplight
1: So now you might be the first podcast where it's a little more like there's oh, a little Scott intro and everything. Oh, yes, fun. I got a, a somebody to do that for me. A, a referral that came in. All right, welcome back podcast. And this week we are here with a very special guest, Anne Blair. Welcome, Anne.
0: Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm
1: glad to have you on. Anne is an expert in one of my passion topics and something that is often a target of FUD, and that is electric vehicles. Anne is the Director of Energy Efficient Transportation at SIA, which is the Southeast Energy Efficiency Alliance. Anne, can you tell us a little bit about your role at SIA and what SIA does?
0: Sure, Uh, SIA is a nonprofit organization. We cover 11 states in the Southeast region and work on uh, energy policy. And my specific role is focused on energy efficient transportation. And we are fuel agnostic, but when you look at the profile of what the most efficient transportation options are right now, it is electrification. And so our work is primarily policy focused, so We work to help educate and provide technical expertise to um, utility commissioners, utility commission staff, and also uh, to our membership, which consists of utilities, charging companies, um, corporations, many different organizations and businesses throughout the Southeast region and nationally.
1: And so you work specifically in the vehicle sector, right? That's right. And I think that's how you and I originally met several years back. But at the time you were with another organization, I think that was Southeast Alliance for Clean Energy.
0: SACE, the Southern Alliance for Clean Energy.
1: You and I met originally through there and also through the EV Club. And then a couple of years ago, I got more involved with the lobbying efforts, which is how we started running into each other a lot more. Um, And then I was really excited to see that you are a member of the 2020 uh, Leadership deKalb class so That's right. congratulations
0: thank you it's been great to be involved with that organization
1: so i wanted to talk a little bit about your experience with leadership Decav. i so you know i was 2019 i was the only ev driver there i was known as the tesla guy i got a lot of questions um, i did have ted terry in my class so i did have another classmate that really got it and is working a lot in this space for clean energy um but I'm curious to hear about your class. Are there other EV drivers? Are there other people working, you know, somewhere in the sustainability space?
0: Yes, uh, it it actually was uh, quite surprising, but exciting to me. And I mean, really not that surprising because we are in the cab indicator area. But um, I know of at least two other EV drivers, and there's probably many more. I haven't asked everybody in the oh, wow. class about their car, but in in a couple of the subgroups that I'm involved in, I know there's a Tesla Model X owner, a uh, Tesla Model Three owner. Um, and there may be, you know, many oh, wow. of others, but it was really exciting to see others who aren't specifically in this industry, but who do other things. Uh, w- one of them is a, pri- uh, um, a private business owner and others an attorney. Um, and. and-
1: kind of following up with this do you see diversity in those owners um you know there's ev hybrid noir are are these because um, in my class you know i was the white guy one of the white guys and had the tesla um are these women people of color
0: um one of them is a, a woman a mom she has three kids she's the ex-owner
1: oh perfect um, yes yeah,
0: and uh the other one is another white male Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> exactly. Right. Well, that,
1: that'll, that'll get better with time, um, certainly, certainly. And
0: it is and as, as you may mentioned, there is an organization here that we've partnered with at the EV Club as well as SIA who is doing out, more outreach to African Americans and other people of color. Um, and to raise awareness about um, electric transportation and really what the consumer benefits are in terms of fuel and cost savings of driving electric.
1: Certainly. I, I really look forward to having either Terry or Shelly on a future episode. I know they're going to be in Austin. Th- is it this weekend? That For Fully
0: Charged on? Live? Yes. yes. I kind of c-
1: wanted to go, but i got to limit myself with conferences. And you just got back from one.
0: Yeah, there there are a, a lot of exciting conferences going on right now. And as you mentioned, that Fully Charged Live is in Austin, Texas. So folks should definitely look out for for opportunities there. I did just return um, from the Electric Auto Association's annual meeting. And this is an, an organization that's been around for decades now since really the... The launch of the first kind of renaissance of electric vehicles back with the EV1. Oh, wow. Um, and there are more than 80 different chapters of the Electric Auto Association and EV Club of the South, based here in Atlanta, of which I serve as the president. Uh, it is one of the members of the association.
1: Oh, okay. I didn't, I thought maybe this was more of an industry type um, thing, but it, it, it's everybody, even the public.
0: Right, right. It is open. Mm -hmm. Oh,
1: awesome. So let's talk a little bit about EVs then and the experience of driving them. Um, What has your EV ownership experience uh, encompassed? Where did you start? How many have you had?
0: Yeah. So... um, I was really driven to um, look into driving electric because of the environmental benefits. There are people who have come to driving electric for a number of reasons, whether economic, environmental, just cool technology. But mine was motivated b- by, um, the environmental benefits. Um, I've worked in the transportation space for more than 15 years now, and we know that transportation is now the number one sor- source of carbon emissions, in addition to particulate matter issues, which cause many of the negative health impacts like asthma, respiratory mm-hmm. illnesses. And um, so when the Nissan LEAF came out in 2011, I was really excited about that vehicle. and. Georgia at the time had a tax credit in place and, um, it was a $5,000 tax credit, very generous. And it just seemed, you know, from an economic perspective as well, like a great opportunity to get into the technology drive cleaner. And, um, so I've had a Nissan Leaf as well as a Chevrolet Bolt. I mean, excuse me, Volts, unfortunately I don't have a Bolt, but, um, the Volt is what's called a plug-in hybrid vehicle, so it, it goes a little over 40 miles on all-electric and then it, it transitions to gas. But because I travel fewer than 40 miles every day, um, all of my you know weekly travel is on all-electric. It's only when I go to the beach or the mountains or things like that that I end up having to uh, run on gas. So um, it, it's great to drive emissions-free for you know, more than ninety percent of my travel um, in town.
1: So, what year did you uh, buy your first the Leaf?
0: It was twenty fourteen. Oh wow, that yeah, was actually 20.
1: that that was my the year I did as well. So okay, I got I bought in September of fourteen, so the 15s were out with a right. new that's lizard exactly battery. Right, that's exactly right. Yes. Okay, did you get the lizard battery,
0: um, in- or did
1: you have a fourteen?
0: no I had the yeah I had the ladder yeah
1: okay yeah. yeah I in fact I tell people still to this day uh when they're looking to go EV I've had a couple of clients I'm like get the 2015 Leaf by it used it has the, a great battery because you know the ones before had more degradation and then the the 16s with that 30 kilowatt in between batteries seem to be having faster than right, the, than the right. lizard battery so um I know that when I finally sold my leaf I had like 45,000 miles on it it was three years old and I had not lost any bars so I was very and I had done a lot of fast yeah. charging so I was very pleasantly surprised in how it performed um but I'm really interested I'm thank you for telling us you know how you got into it and where you started um I think that there's many reasons people get in there is the environmental side um I think those are a lot of the early adopters and then um getting forward, I think we it's really spreading the message of all of the savings, right? All of right. the economic reasons. And then, of course, we have environmental, which ties into health. Uh, you mentioned asthma and things like that. And uh, tying it back to real estate a little bit with green building, um, that's... Uh, a really great solution for these uh, neighborhoods usually lower income that are along heavily traveled corridors you know a tighter building envelope more is more energy efficient but also it keeps out some of that d- dirty particulate so a great way to right. kind of again talk about all these things that feel disjointed but they really have that that start um, I actually so I bought around the same time as you uh, September of 2014 and I've always been like a truck SUV performance car guy I am a spirited driver I like to hit the (laughs) throttle and uh, I'm also 6'4 so I don't really fit in many cars usually so I had a Jeep Wrangler and I was a marine biologist at the time so environmental did matter to me but you know so many of us also have like a road destroying vehicle like a big Subaru pumped up or something we go (laughs) off (laughs) off off-roading and I took my Jeep off-roading but it was four and five hundred dollars a month in gas And, you know, working in marine biology, you don't really make that much. So, you know, four and five hundred dollars a month in gas alone was a huge part of my budget. And so I actually was largely, well, actually not largely, it was purely financial reasons Mm -hmm. because the leaf didn't excite me from like a visual standpoint. And I thought it would be terrible. Um, And so I ended up buying it because I had heard about the tax credit, which I'll make a note here so we can come back and talk about the tax credit a little bit. Um, But. I bought it because it was essentially a free car. You know, if you bought like the very very base model on a 24 month, and you were you got like the friends and family discount for employees and related companies, you could get it zeroed out. But I bought mine with the charge package because okay. I, I wanted yeah. to use the car. I was like, I'm I'm gonna use this car, so I need to be able to level two. So I, that was like a seventeen hundred dollar package. But um, anyway, it was fast. Majority was covered by by the tax credit. I think my total. Um, lease payments over 24 months was a little over seven thousand dollars so it was still a huge savings and i wasn't paying for gas every month
0: right that was the the huge thing for me that i experienced i mean i knew there were going to be fuel savings but once you get used to not going to the gas station it is just phenomenal to know i can come home in the evenings plug in the car and be set to go the next day Um, and you know, when I've had to rent cars and things like that and fill them up with gas, I'm just like in shock now, um, to experience having to, (laughs) it's like $30 (laughs) or more when, you know, it's, you know, it can be as inexpensive if you charge overnight as, you know, one cent per kilowatt hour. Um, and that it just huge fuel and operational savings. And that's been amazing and you mentioned earlier in terms of performance that was another thing i love the torque or Mm -hmm. you know the get up and go of electric cars and beating everybody at the stoplight it is
1: it's like the sleeper right and it's funny because when i bought my leaf i've always been buying something i really want and they tried so hard to upsell me and i was just like it was a non-emotional buy and i i was gonna have this thing for two years i actually bought it at the end of the lease um you know they were doing further discounts around that time if you bought yours off lease and i actually kept it for another year but it was the performance you know i love the money but then it's like i actually like this car and and it you know i think it was slower like i think eight seconds zero to 60 i can't remember but it still felt really fast from the performance and um you mean
0: slower than the tesla you have now
1: (laughs) yes yes but it was still very strong um but so tax credit a little bit i want to talk about that because it's so much kind of packed in there so we had this great tax credit that was around since like 98 it was really ahead of its time and it you know nissan came when they had the leaf they they saw atlanta as a really important market and they were able to craft the lease program really around that to we were the second largest i think and sometimes we were the the largest market for them
0: the largest market for the nissan leaf for many years um and the second largest market for electric vehicles in totality because there were really a combination of things it was a tax credit the fact that atlantans love to drive and drive a lot you know a lot of miles um and with the LEAF and the Tesla Model S really coming to market during that time frame, it was just the convergence of a lot of great things happening, which caused um, Atlanta to surge in, in our rankings nationally.
1: One, well, it really helped us have the infrastructure we have now, because I remember yes. those early days. We, we, it really kind of popped up you know, late 14 and into 15. We kind of grew up to all this infrastructure, and it's, and it's still growing. But that tax credit, not only did it bring the cars here in a larger number, We also got that chicken and egg problem of which comes first, the car, the chargers. But an interesting thing kind of about even the the basis of our whole conversation today is awareness. And so one of the the things I remember so much FUD, if you will, around the tax credit at the time, because the language was um, you would get 20%, it was up 20% up to a total of five thousand dollars of the purchase price of the car and i remember that there were so many discussions online i i was i'm still really big into finance but i was big into finance and trying to be you know find save money here and there which is how i stumbled upon it um, but there was so much misinformation out there, like people were saying, well, it's only 20% if you buy the car, not mm. lease, right? Mm-hmm. So then they'd say, well, you're only gonna get 20% of the lease. So you'll get, if your lease is 5,000, you're gonna get a thousand. And there was just so much misinformation out there. I decided to, you know, I, I, I heard all of it, but I just decided to make the jump and it worked out. You know, I did lease the car, spent a little over 7,000 in lease payments, and I got the $5,000 tax credit. So even when we had it there, there was just so much working to scare people from even trying. Right. right? And um, and then what was really interesting is, um, you know, to be able to take a tax credit of five thousand dollars in one year, you've got to make like one hundred thousand dollars. When right. you take into consideration, um, you know, other ta- discounts and, and, and write offs. So I was making about 40000 a year. And I remember when I took it, luckily they did structure it. You could take it over five years so you could absorb it. But I only got about 1500 that mm-hmm. first year because that's mm-hmm. all my liability was. But it was interesting to watch the data. And I, th- I think you and Don had mentioned it as, as the tax credit got older and around the time they cut it off, there were more and more people that weren't able to you know, use all the tax credit in one year. So we were seeing that it was no longer... You know wealthy individuals that it was that's actually right. reaching yeah. the market um, and that's when they cut it off
0: right we saw that transition as exactly as you were saying of more and more people taking the tax credit over multiple years showing that more people on middle and lower incomes were getting into the vehicles and we saw that as um, really exciting shift in the market and so it was really unfortunate that at that time that we began to see more than really the super early adopters who tend to be wealthier, um, we saw more of those folks get in the car. And um, so the tax credit was then eliminated and not only that, a new uh, user registration fee was added. So electric vehicle owners now have to pay um, around $214 annually in um, extra registration fees for their cars and you know for you know your early wealthy adopters you know that's a hit it's not but it's not significant but for the people who began to get in those vehicles in those latter years that was a huge hit for them to now have to pay that additional money and that figure really was just kind of pulled out of the air and is is um really punitive and not equitable in terms of making up for gas tax revenue which was the or is the intention of that that user fee
1: when it has built-in escalation which is harder too because it was two hundred dollars when it was implemented and right. it's going up like three and four dollars a year i actually I have a very unique situation this past year, but I've actually paid five of those in 2019. Oh wow! Yes, well, because it follows the car. So if you lease, right? So if you lease a car or even sell it, um, then you know you don't get a partial refund, right? Mm -hmm, So like mm -hmm. we we had a lease uh, go back. Um, My so the car was registered in my husband's name, so we paid in April. So we paid at that time both cars were in his name, so we paid two in April and then we knew the lease was coming up and we wanted to get a used i3 and so mm-hmm. we were looking looking we found a deal so we paid it when we bought the i3 um and so that was number three <laughs> <laughs> and then um i so the i3 was bought in my name at that point and then my birthday's in october so in october i paid again for the i3 and then we said we had some issues come up and we're like we're, we're just ready to go all tesla so in december we bought a model three we paid it again and we sold the the i3 so i mean that's an extreme case but it's a great example of how even though we only had two cars we ended up paying five of those fees wow, and man. and you know, i'm not happy about spending that but it didn't you know break me but it's just you know there's no way to get a credit you know you go to the dmv and ask about it and you can't get credits moved around to another car and just think something could be done there do you know of anything is there any i know there's been conversations um is there any serious effort to adjust that legislation and lower that fee
0: well there is a bill that was introduced in the 2019 legislative session so the bill is still live um, for this year but we've we've heard that there's not much of an appetite to um, lower that fee at this time EVs really were targeted, um, but it was included as a part of a large transportation bill that was passed during the 2015 legislative session, um, House Bill 170. And there isn't reception to altering kind of the revenue expectations that were um, included as a part of that.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I do think it's, you know. It's unfortunate because the estimates that were made at the time about how much revenue that fee was gonna bring in isn't what they expected because at the same time the tax credit was eliminated so people weren't buying as many EVs. So we we saw a 90% drop in electric vehicle uh, sales during after twenty fifteen, and just in twenty nineteen, did we begin to see those numbers creep back up?
1: Okay, that's good to hear. I hadn't seen that data yet.
0: And um, I mean, we're still not where we w- we were previously, but the model three, the introduction the introduction of the model three and a few other models have are are the reason that we've seen the increase again because folks want more affordable uh, technology. Um, but you'll see, you know, people who have adopted electric vehicles know how well they perform, the cost savings, and yes. so they wanna stay an electric vehicle. And um there are more and more models that are coming out and available for consumers. And so I I think we're the, the growth is not gonna be like we saw it previously without another tax credit, uh, which there also is another tax credit bill that has been filed. Uh We have um, done some analysis with um, some local experts, showing if the state did pursue um, another tax credit, even at half the amount of what it used to be at 2,500, that is increased GDP, jobs for the state, Um, and so it's a huge invest. It's a huge opportunity that the state could pursue. Um, we have additional manufacturing in terms of Bluebird electric buses, um, SK battery manufacturing yes, facility. A lot of facilities There's a lot up. of economic opportunity, and Georgia has an opportunity to lead and s- say, you know, we we support this. And um, I think adopting some new incentives for electric vehicles could send that signal to more people and build confidence that that Georgia is. Um, you know an advanced uh, mobility state
1: yeah i think we're close with all the things that you were talking about lining up and commissioner Eccles, and and um i think bubba mcdonald is the other commissioner that are big on solar and of course sk innovation being here um you know we've got so many auto manufacturers all around us you know nissan up in tennessee with the leaf mercedes in alabama bmw up in, in um, uh south carolina right so those are all places that sk could serve and it's interesting i made a video recently because we drove up to commerce um a couple weeks back and so i had shared a video of people of us driving by and a lot of people didn't know about that battery Mm -hmm. factory and there were some locals that actually commented and said yes it's a huge boon for us job-wise and it really is you know it's it's about i don't know 45 minutes outside of atlanta so it's it's getting you know it's pretty rural out there um so when you look at probably what that those jobs will pay is it's it's a huge benefit for the area, and I think that's how we get more people on board is is we talk about the money side of things, um. You know, it's how you build that that coalition. Even in green homes, we say it's people, planet, profit, right? Mm-hmm. Health for for people, health for the planet, and then you get everybody else on board when you talk about the money side. So, um, what are some of the biggest misconceptions uh, or the FUD? We keep using that word, mm-hmm. um. Around EV?
0: Well, one of the <laughs> questions that I get regularly and, and it's a it's one that's fairly surprising to me, is what do you do when you run out of battery? Well, um, One of the best resources to figure that out is PlugShare.com or the PlugShare app. It will show you where the closest charging infrastructure is. And we still do have a long way to go to really build out our infrastructure. But you can, um, most of our major highways are well-connected at this point. Um, And so when people ask me, you know, where, well, what do you do when you run out of battery? Well, in the same way that you look at a gas tank, you will look at your battery range and you will plan accordingly. So if, if uh, you know, before a trip, you need to know where, you know, charging is, you just pull up that app and you charge accordingly. It, it's a slight shift in terms of, you know, planning, but um, it's it's not a huge uh, inconvenience the charging time now is uh, is longer than the gas tank currently but there are a lot of advancements and um, but new you, things you got to use the restroom do at that. some
1: point you know you got to get do, out
0: you do and another you know interesting things we're we're really looking at now how to better support rural communities and so working with Um, Oglethorpe Power and others to figure out how to build um, charging infrastructure more throughout uh, those communities. And um, one of the things that's important, you know, back to economic development, is locating chargers in rural communities will help bring, you know, economic, you know, opportunity, bring visitors and, you know, tourists into the communities to you know, stop by the local diner and buy food, or stop in the convenience store and- We've
1: done exactly buy, that.
0: Buy snacks. So there's a lot of opportunity to, uh, for rural communities, too, in terms of revenue generation uh, from, uh, from putting EV charging in local communities. I'm glad that
1: that is becoming a bigger part of the conversation, because right now, still, the majority of EV drivers and owners are urban or suburban. And we really don't need it around the suburbs, because if we're just driving around the suburbs so much, we're, we're probably well within range. of We go back home and we charge if we have a home charger. So I love that about the rural communities, because that's where I see the holes, right. if you will. Because, I mean, the cool thing is, I mean, we've had some awesome experiences like we, we drove from Atlanta to Brooklyn for thanks, uh, Thanksgiving of 2018. And, um, you know, they're all Tesla superchargers are all on the interstate. Some of them are in pretty dense areas. But, you know, there's some really off the wall places that you get to go and you're like, I never would have been here otherwise. And it's not like in a negative way. It's 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 interesting. So it's you can kind of game it, if you will, and make it an experience. In fact, the buyer of our I-3 lived in Cary, North Carolina, so right outside Raleigh, I believe. And it's a 350 mile trip. Mm -hmm. And he asked me, he said, you know, would you drive this? And I said, I would, you know, I I would feel comfortable. Here's plug share. I gave him a route and I said, you know, now this is an 80, that car was a 16, right? 2016. So it was the original generation, 80 miles of range. And he, he, his 18 year old son came with him. He was probably in his forties and they picked up the car on Christmas Eve. And they got home Christmas morning, but they made it. And he wrote me this long email, like kind of like, you know, detailing. And I said, you are probably, uh, you probably going to be like the warrior of North Carolina. Like there there probably will be like nobody else in their EV club has, um, done something that ballsy for their first trip or at all. I mean, because, I mean, we've taken some road trips in those shorter range EVs we had, but not quite that far. Mm -hmm. Um, but he, yeah, I mean, it was just interesting to kind of see that perspective. So it's, it's doable um but you know obviously he had me as a six-year ev driver to kind of help walk him through it and give him a safety plan i think that's the biggest thing like when i have people ask me i say well you just have to shift your mindset like you can't think of it like a gas car you can't think oh i'm going to just drive it until it runs out you know and you unlike a gas car you don't wake up every morning with a full tank right you have to go to the gas station and fill but with home charging, you're full every morning, and you don't think about it. So it's really about charging when you're not, when you're just going about life, when right. you're working, when you're sleeping, whatever else. Um, so it really saves you a lot of time, um, which is which is a huge point. And it's interesting. I don't get so much about the battery running out. My husband, my husband being from New York, thinks this is just ridiculous. Our question is always, "How do you drive to Florida?" Mm-hmm. That's what people mm-hmm. ask us. Right. And even as a Georgia native, I'm like. I- I've gone to Florida, but not this many times as apparently you do, because it's like everybody's (laughs) biggest concern. Um, But you can do it. I mean, we've we've actually taken the There is great
0: charging. And, you know, the state of Florida actually has is currently looking at a EV road, developing an EV roadmap, Um, uh, figuring out the charging infrastructure along uh, evacuation corridors is something that the that Governor DeSantis is looking at right now. And there's Others looking at how to, uh, you know, how to build some redundancy and um, additional charging throughout that to connect with Georgia and and elsewhere. So today you can do it, just yes. you know, fine. But we need to build some more redundancy into the charging infrastructure
1: yeah especially as our uh, number of cars increase right um, it, it'll be really important but kind of along those same lines when we talk about usability you know so I do a lot of try to do a lot of awareness in the realtor space with this mm-hmm. because I'm like EVs are perfect for realtors uh, my first uh, little almost uh, almost two years of real estate I had the leaf and I drove 20,000 miles a year in that leaf I sold homes from all the way up in Woodstock and Canton all the way down to Covington in that time in that leaf. Mm-hmm. And people, they, you know, it was impossible, they said. Um, and I still get people to, to this day now that I drive a Tesla they're, you know, and it's got a 260 mile range. They say, well, I drive 300 miles every day, every day. And I, I could never do electric because of that. And, and I'm like, well, first of all, that's over 100,000 miles a year. And I, I doubt you're doing that. Um, but it seems like even as we progress, people, they're so scared of it. And mm-hmm. they feel they have to resist it, that they move the goalposts. Like uh, Elon Musk said in the uh, the earnings call this week, that the Model S and X, or the S particularly, is about to be at like 400 miles. Mm-hmm. You know, that is insane for us that started with 80-mile range leaves. Yeah, and the truth is it.
0: we really don't need it. Um, but there is this... Um, Belief, or yeah, the fear—it's that people believe they need that level of mileage. But you know, numerous studies show that um, most Americans drive fewer than 40 miles a day. So you know, the EVs on the market can meet the needs of um, of most people. uh, one of my colleagues has uh, a LEAF and that is their only car. They rent a car if they need to go, um, you know, on longer trips or they do a car share thing with their neighbors. So that's another great option and I think growing trend um, as well. But it is a little bit of a mind shift for um, for folks who have been used to, you know, driving, you know, or 350 miles and having that car ready. It, you know, it is, it, is a, it is a bit of a mind shift. But did we know that we were going to be so dependent on our cell phones and that was going to do everything True. just, you know, less than a decade ago? And so I think this is another great model. And I, I use the cell phone example a lot and thinking about, you know, when you get home at night or before you go to Perfect. bed, you plug in and you're ready to go the next day same thing for cars getting in that habit and it i mean it it doesn't take long to get into that
1: no you convert very quickly and it's really just getting butts and seats if you will that's right. right
0: yeah once you get an electric car you experience that thrill the the get up and go as i mentioned and then realize you don't have to go to the gas station and pump that smelly nasty stuff
1: it's sort of like cigarette smoke smoke. you know how as a non-smoker you walk into a house where somebody smoked or nearby and you can just get the faintest whiff now when there are occasionally times when we've traveled and we can't get an electric car you know in another market although that's getting better and we have to get a gas car and it's just overwhelming because i don't you're not used to the smell anymore and and you're like wow i really became numb but it is very repugnant and strong yes um so so we kind of talked you know we did talk a fair amount about the benefits so a lot of it is this awareness and education getting in front of people um is there any work that sia is doing or pushing to to help spread public awareness
0: we are a lot of it as i mentioned earlier we are doing to decision makers utility commissioners and others because this is a you know this is a unique period of, of time where we're seeing the convergence of the electricity and the transportation sectors. Um, electricity consumption is flat, um, and so our uh, electricity companies are looking for innovative new opportunities to transform and uh, adapt to their, um, this new model. And so electric transportation is one of those growth opportunities for them. But we need to think about the ways that um, the 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 rates are structured, how charging infrastructure to, is deployed, and you know, really the biggest opportunity um, for them, but also for emissions reductions, is uh, transitioning fleets, both light duty and heavy duty fleets, to electric. So um, you know, large companies who um, Transport goods, for instance, you know, they have large numbers of heavy duty trucks and taking those off the road will reduce our emissions. But it's going to be a huge electricity needed yes. to charge those vehicles. And and
1: that's one of the, the FUDs that come out as people yeah. say that the grid isn't ready and it's going to. Be chaos, yeah, but they can plan for that.
0: They get, they absolutely can plan for that. It's like adding a, a a new small power plant, and they can adjust for that. And so it's an opportunity uh, to to meet carbon reduction goals for companies. It's it's generally you know cleaner resources. They can do it, you know, pair it with solar, even better, uh, even better emissions profile. And so there's just a lot of exciting opportunities. So, you know, a lot of our Uh, awareness raising as a part of my kind of day job is with, you know, the companies connecting them with the utility companies, connecting the utility companies with those who want to go electric and building those partnerships, um, and connecting those entities that all need to work together. So, um, one of the things, for example, uh, we were just in Orlando last week and pulled together a, a panel of folks to talk about, um, how to deploy these programs. So the city of Orlando, Proterra, who's developing electric buses, Green Lots, that is a a charging software company, and um, Orlando Utilities Commission, and Lynx, the transit agency. Hmm. And it's important for all of those entities to be talking and working together to maximize the benefits for each of the entities. And everybody can win. Um, working closely together, and um, we want to see more of that happen throughout the Southeast. Um, also, we are, you know, co hosting ride and drive events as a part of conferences to get people in vehicles and experience them.
1: So, are those open to the public?
0: Um, some of them are, some of them are specific to conference guests and things like that, but we um, generally try to make most events open to the public. And then, I, as a part of EV Club of the South, Um, we do, we hosted about 20 or so events, um, with different partners last year, um, and hoping to do more this year, uh, plug in America, electric auto association and Sierra club, um, host national drive electric week, as well as drive electric earth day events. Um, and that's a, that's a period of time in April and then in September where there's um, a lot of high profile to, uh, of these events throughout the country. So those are other good resources. Yeah, and Atlanta's is getting
1: really big. I think we yeah. were either number one or two last year for registration. So that was a great push. Real, real quick, I wanted to touch on a couple of things you talked about with charging infrastructure and utilities in particular. So one of these kind of mixed pieces came out last week or earlier this week from the Wall Street Journal, where they had eight reporters kind of across the world um, go into an EV, various models, and live with it for three weeks. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting. Like, I was glad that they didn't just go completely in, in like a FUD piece and and lie. Like, because sometimes they are just very brutal. And there's like very obvious things that they missed. I do think the reporters were very... Unprepared. I feel like somebody should have given them some information or had an app. Right. And there was, but it was good because they did show people that lived in single family. Some people that had were in an apartment. Um. But the real big pain point that they really highlighted, they had one Tesla, and then the seven other cars were non-Tesla. The chart public charging points, especially especially around for road trips and fast charging, was a huge pain point. Which I think uh, us that have been in the space, especially if you've owned a non-Tesla, you know what it's like. Um, and then they, you know, briefly mentioned, oh, but Tesla was an outlier in this case, and they completely glossed over why they should have, you know, why, how, and why it was. So, they've, to me, I'm like, if, if I was not a previous te- a EV owner, that piece was kind of scary. They did offer some solutions to this charging, and one of them was utilities and governments. So um, that's always been seemed like a very easy one for utilities to get get into it because they are creating the energy and can have more profit compared to somebody who comes in, puts the infrastructure in, maintains it, and then is buying wholesale or retail electricity. And Georgia Power has a small footprint in that space that they implemented in, I think, 2015, 2016. Um, but it really is minor. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts on you know, some of that charging infrastructure, you know, Tesla's model, um, and you know, trying to fill those gaps with something like utility or government?
0: Yeah, we, as I mentioned, we do think that utilities have a strong role to play in deploying charging infrastructure. One of the things that they've needed to demonstrate to their shareholders is the value of deploying that charging infrastructure. Um, because utilization is fairly low right now, and so as, in terms of revenue generation from the charging, it's not high. And so they, they need to demonstrate um, to utility commissions the value of them doing that charging. And so Georgia Power was able to do that, um, and they did it on their own in response to um, Atlanta's EV adoption in 2015, but they, they haven't done much over the past few years, except in response to people individually requesting it. Say, um, you know, Cox Enterprises or Coca-Cola asking, Hey, you know, can you deploy some charging infrastructure? But they haven't deployed that on their own because it's actually fairly expensive to put, for example, a DC fast charger out there. The most of the cost is running the lines to the station Itself. Um, But one of the things uh, they just recently went through a rate case. And one of the positive things, it was a fairly, you know, controversial rate case, um, but it was the first um, time they've had a rate case in many years. Um, But one of the positive things was that um, they asked for rate recovery for deploying charging infrastructure. And it was approved. And so you, you will see some more charging infrastructure deployed uh, from the company. Well, that'll be um, good because we
1: need others besides Tesla to succeed. I mean, Tesla is leading because it's what they believe. And I, I mean, that's what I really believe is the difference between, say, Tesla and the o, the OEMs. The, the uh, legacy is really believing in it. But we need the other ones to succeed as well because we need those people that buy a Nissan Leaf to buy another Leaf or a Hyundai or something like that if they don't want to do Tesla.
0: Right. Tesla's had a a really good model because they deployed the charging infrastructure and the vehicles sort of as a unit. And so they, you know, are working, um, working together. But um, other auto manufacturers haven't invested in that charging infrastructure in the same way. So it's really valuable that they actually work collectively with utilities and other and with private charging companies, such that those things can happen well together um, because it's like you mentioned the the whole chicken and the egg thing. I mean, we saw, you know back, oh yeah, it was around twenty eleven. Tennessee deployed a whole bunch of charging infrastructure, but the, but the utility wasn't largely involved. And um, it you've seen a lot of that infrastructure fail. Mm-hmm. These things really need to happen together collectively. And, um, I mean, that is what we're seeing, is that the utility companies are responding to where the vehicles are. I think that's a more you know appropriate way, way to go. But, again, you they need to work more closely together um, to anticipate when new cars are coming out, how quickly adoption will happen, and those sorts of things.
1: I really want to see more further from home. Like, the North Georgia mountains are right. pretty void. Um, and it, it's—I don't necessarily need—and it's not just about my needs, but we don't necessarily need so much right where we live. But if, if when I drive to—Clayton uh, is one spot where Georgia Power has right. put one in— or Helen or something like that you know having that so that while you're out doing your things you're, you're plugged up and charging as I think that makes it just makes it a less of a friction point um, so as we wrap up I, I would love to get your thoughts on where you see both as an EV owner and your work with Sia where you see us going here in Georgia over the next year or two
0: well I think we're gonna see a lot more fleets demanding um, charging infrastructure and working more closely with the utility. Um, we are very focused on figuring out how we can deploy more charging in rural communities, and we're going to see, uh, a large number of new vehicles come out. And so I think the, the base of people adopting EVs, um, is, is going to be somewhat surprising to folks. The forecasts, uh, even in absence of, um, new credits and things like that look positive. They could be better with, with incentives and other, and other programs. Um, and we're going to see uh, the utilities do a lot more. Another leading utility that I meant to mention earlier, Duke Energy, they have filings before the South Carolina, North Carolina, and Kentucky commissions in, in, in Kentucky as well. Um, and Dominion Energy in Florida as well. So utilities are investing more. Um, they see the case. Really, they see they see that they see the case, but they need support from their regulators um, and the public because it has been shown that it will drive down rates when you get penetration levels up. And so that'll be good for all rate payers, um, which has been one of the arguments sort of against it today. It's always
1: the uh, scaling of economies, right? With batteries and all of it. So I want to thank you for coming by today. It's really awesome helping me have my first EV episode. Um, This is great. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, we'll follow up on some of those um, thoughts in one or two years. And uh, maybe follow up later this year. And congratulations on your graduation in June from Leadership to Cav. And then we can have the argument of who's the best class ever. Right, yes. So if anybody wanted to get in contact with you or Sia, what's the best social media?
0: Sure. Um I am available on Twitter at cleanenergy, numeral four, letter U. Um Also on LinkedIn, um, find me at Ann Blair. Um, and... Yeah, those are probably the, the two best ways. I mean, I'm, of course, also available on email if anybody needs to reach me at ablair at org.
1: Well, thank you, Anne, and thank you, podcast. We will talk to you guys next week.
0: Thank you.